Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. And so out in the lobby, um, we have prayer walls, and you guys have been putting your prayers on there. And just so you know that we as a a staff and all the leadership, and we have been praying personally over every single one of those. We've been taking those and and praying over your prayer requests. But we added another element to it, and it's the uh, answered prayers. And so if God has answered a prayer in your life recently, we would love to celebrate with you. Um, We want to thank God on uh, your behalf as well. And so if you will just put those on there, we would love to not only help you in your, is it, are you guys okay? back here? Are you guys, are, we're good? You go, okay. All right. Way to go. Thanks, Nick. All right. Um, anyway, uh, so make sure you uh, participate in that. Also, we, um, we announced at the beginning of service, which I think about 75% of you missed out on. Um, this is, what time does it start at? 10, 10, thir- 10.30? No, 10. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. This is a 10 o'clock service. Some of you guys are like, 10.15? No, 10. Um, we, uh, we announced that we're starting a new ministry. It's called Safe Families. We're very excited about that. And if you don't know what Safe Families is, um, it's an alternative for uh, kids who would normally be put into the foster care system temporarily. Um, we, as Christians, step up. We open our homes and we say, you know what? Those kids can come and stay with us. Um, and it's usually a, a limited amount of time because their uh, parent or parents are going through something. And so we just want to be able to love on those kids. And so there's a, there's a bunch of families that are already doing it in our church. And so we wanted to open up to rescue and see if you're in interested in becoming a part of that ministry. If you are, you can go out into the, um, out into the courtyard and they'll give you some more information. Okay, um, so one of the things that we do um, at my house, actually we do it every night at dinner, is we do our highs and lows from the day. All right, our highs and lows. Now, I try to focus on the highs. My kids bring the lows. They're very depressing children. Um, and so I thought maybe we should start out today like that, is you can just talk about this week, turn to somebody around you, tell them this is the best thing that happened this week in my world. All right, so go really quick. 30 seconds, tell them fast, go. Okay, sounds like there's a lot of good stuff that's been uh, happening in your world. Let me just hear a couple. If you just want to share something awesome that happened in your world in this last week, just go ahead and shout it out real quick. Over here, we're going to start with you guys. What? Being alive. Yes, yes. What? You went to SeaWorld. It's kind of controversial, but that's fine. All right, throw it out there. Okay. You had, uh, you had four, fourth birthday? Fourth birthday in your house. All right. Was there a theme? Dinosaurs and Legos. Dinosaurs and Legos. Okay. Dinosaurs and Legos. Yeah, right back here. Frisbee golf. And is that your girlfriend? Is that your girlfriend there? Yeah, she's your girlfriend. And you still play Frisbee golf. Okay, that's fine. All right. Okay. Uh, didn't know those were compatible. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> how about this section right here? You guys, anything exciting happen in your world? Yes. Moved. You moved. You moved. Well, thanks for being here anyway. You moved. You guys are commuting now, right? How long is the commute? About an hour. 
An hour. Yeah, that's right. An hour commute. Beat that, you guys. Beat that. All right. Anybody else? You retired. Wow. I got to be honest, you're going to regret clapping that loud for her retirement because I am going to talk about that today. So it's going to be, <laughs> I hope you got another job lined up. All right. Yeah. What do you got over here? Anything? Grand, what about grandkids? You got to visit with your grandkids. Very cool. How many grandkids? That was two of them. You were thinking for a second, like, how many do I have these days? Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. Well, we get very excited. Yes. Cancer free! Awesome. Okay, I'm ending on that one. That's amazing. Well, uh, we, we had a lot of excitement in the Surratt house. I guess it was also the C and Franny house. So um, if you remember a while ago, it was really awkward. I told you that my sister got pregnant by the youth pastor. And... Um, <laughs> It's a whole thing. They're married, though. I didn't clarify that. I kind of just left that out there, and people were like, ooh, <laughs> what kind of church is this? Well, anyway, um, and, uh, and so they, they had the baby this last week. Yeah, very excited about that. Yep. Baby Noel, and she was born on 2-2-22, which is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That makes them very special. I'm not sure if that makes them a psychopath or what, but how that all works, we'll find out. But he, my daughter, who is nine, um, when she heard about it, she was obviously very excited, but she said, you know, Dad, I kind of wish she was born the day before. I said, w w why? She said, because then she could be the first Noel. And I said, you're my child. That's awesome. You're my child. You got dad jokes already. You know, that's fantastic. So, Anyway, uh, good stuff happening, and hopefully some good stuff happening in your world as well. So this is our last week of our series that we've been doing, and we're right in the middle of a 21-day fast and prayer. And throughout this, we've been discussing kind of the seven rules for Christian living. And we get these right from Scripture. We see Jesus practicing these things. And, and kind of the idea behind it is that everybody needs rules for living. And so if you go back to the, um, the Latin word, regula, you find out that it's associated with a trellis. And so this would be called a trellis or a rule. And the reason why it's called that is because it helps the vine grow orderly and so that it can be beautiful and, uh, and it can be productive. And what happens is if we don't have a rule, we start to grow wild. And this is what this one represents right here is it's just kind of, it's kind of all over the place. Is it's still going to grow, but it's going to grow and it's going to be messy and it's not going to be as beautiful and it's going to be all kind of all over the place. And so that's what our lives can look like. And not just our lives, but our spiritual lives. Is we need certain rules in place if we want to grow spiritually. And so we've been talking about those seven rules for living. And so the first uh, five, we talked about their kind of more personal um, daily practices that we participate in. Last week we talked about the sixth, which is more about community. And today we're going to finish off the series and talk about uh, the seventh. So uh, I read an article in The Atlantic and it said this, it says, busyness is the success symbol or status symbol of our time. So in, in times past, the way that you would know someone is successful is maybe you look at their house or you look at their car, they wear a nice watch, and all of those are still true. But they said the way that you can really tell if someone is successful these days is by their schedule. Is you don't show off your, your stuff, you show off your schedule now. Because it means that you are somebody who is valuable to others, that you have something to offer them. And so they concluded with this. They said it was, in the past, it was about having valuable things. Now it's about being the valuable thing. I am somebody because people want me. 
and they want my time, and they want my energy, and they want my opinions. Contrary to uh, early uh, predictions, and so if you go back about 100 years to the turn of the 20th century, there was writings from sociologists and economists, and they had a prediction. They said, as technology increased, work would decrease. So they looked at the future, and they thought, wow, like we're making all these technological advancements, and it's making our work easier and more efficient and effective. And so uh, I think if we continue along this path, what we're going to see is down the road is technology is going to take all the work away from us. And so some of them were even predicting, you know, I think there will be, be a day that people will have to work three hours if they want to. Their major concern as they looked in the future was, are people just going to be bored? They're going to have nothing to do. I don't think their predictions came true. Now, part of it did is we are more effective and efficient with our technology, but the other part is not true. In fact, we've gone the opposite direction. Not only do we not work less, we work more, and increasingly so every single year, including the time of the, the, the pandemic is you would think, okay, everything is shut down. You have to go home. You're therefore going to have to work less hours. Not true. Studies show that we work two and a half more hours a day when we work from home than when we are actually at the office. So how did we, how did we go the opposite direction? How are we not just busy, but we're busy by choice? What happened? And in the uh, New Yorker, they said the answer is this is those who are predicting all of these things, they didn't understand human nature. There is something about our relationship to work that they didn't quite understand. And so I want to unpack that a little bit, is what did they miss? So let's start off with work. What did God intend when it came to work? In Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God creates the heavens and the earth and man, and then eventually uh, creates this garden for man to live in. And it gives us right off the bat insight into who this God is. This is a creator God. This is a God that builds this is a God that works. And it says that we were made in his image. And so there's a lot of implications to that. One being that we're intrinsically valuable. But the other is that being made in his image means that we're builders. We're, we're creatives. That we, we want to work. And so that's exactly what he does. He puts us in this garden where everything is tame and productive and orderly. And he says, now I want you to go and I want you to make the rest of the world look like this. I want you to tend to the garden. I want you to go and name the animals. I want you to go and build a family. I want you to get to work. And this was before things went bad in the world. This was in the garden by design. God said, you were made to work. Now, when some of us think about paradise, work is not a part of it. In fact, that's kind of the point of paradise is we don't have to work anymore. But the scriptures say no, that paradise or in paradise, we were built to work. And all of us, um, I, I think we can agree to this, that there's something within us, within the human DNA, that we just, we have to build. We have to work. You can see this in little kids. I love watching little kids because they're not as influenced by the, the culture that surrounds them. And so you kind of get their natural state, like their disposition. And if you look at kids and what they're attracted to, uh, for example, I just heard somebody, uh, we had a birthday party. It was dinosaurs and Legos. Why do, why do kids love Legos? I mean, what a dumb toy, right? Like, think about it. It's little plastic things that if you step on, you want to cry. You know, what are those things? And yet, they are one of the biggest selling toys in human history. How is this possible? Because we just love to build things. We, you know, my, my daughter, she has, her entire room is full of American Girl doll paraphernalia, okay? It's insane. And why does she like it? 
Well, she likes to build little cities, and she likes to build homes, and she likes to, she's all about building. She's all about creating. I, I could name uh, dozens of toys. We have Hot Wheel tracks. We have puzzles. We have Lincoln Logs. I mean, I do it. I mean, I don't, Lincoln Logs are not my thing, but I do it. I build. I like to create. So when I have free time and I get to do whatever I want to do, you know what I do? I go out into the garage and I build something. So for years and years and years, I've been working on an old truck, been building that. Um, I, I've been working on the house. I like building stuff in the house. I, I just, there's something about it in which I, I, I just I can't help it. I want to build, and all of you are builders too. Now, you may not be that kind of builder. You might be thinking, none of those things sound interesting to me. But you're building something. Everybody is building something. Your, your life, at the end of it, you're going to look back and say, this is what I built. I built this career. I built this marriage. I, I built this family. I built this character, this faith. All of us are going to look back and say, this is what I worked towards. We simply can't help it. We can either be intentional or not, but we are building something. And so when God came up with this idea of work, um, he had some very specific purposes in mind, one of which was he wanted us to be able to connect with him. Work is a way that we get to invite God into the process of what we're doing. Because in the beginning, it said that he wanted us to be co-creators. Like he gave us the raw materials, the resources, and the abilities to be able to create, create alongside with him. And he wants us to invite him into that process so we can create together. So a few weeks ago, this was the first and only time I think this is ever going to happen, is my son offered to help me clean the garage. Seven years old, said, Dad, I want to help you clean the garage. I said, oh, really? Okay. We'll see how this goes. And so he's going around, and he's helping me pick up stuff, and I think he lasted about 20 minutes, which is much longer than I thought he was going to. And why did he want to come and help Dad clean the garage? Because he was very concerned about the condition of the garage and how much stuff there was laying around? Absolutely not. Because he wanted to spend time with Dad. And I get that. I want to spend time with him. So, okay, bud, let's, let's do that. Let's spend some time together. We'll, we'll do some work. The gift that my father gave both of my older kids was he gave them um, woodworking benches that stay over at his house. And what's funny is he made these, but he made them, and I know that it probably took more time to do this, is he made them, but he didn't finish and put them all together. He made individual pieces that would go together because that was kind of the gift. The gift was not just a woodworking bench where they go, oh, cool, I get to pretend to do, you know, no, no. The gift is you and Papa are going to put this together. We're going to spend some time. And so they go over there and they work on it. I go, what would you get done on your bench today? And they go, okay, we got this leg on there. Because it's not about the bench. It's about the relationship. They're going to spend time with their papa. I think that's what God created work for in part is, is he wants to spend time with us. He wants to go invite me into your work. Our work is also how God fulfills his purposes in the world is he works through us in order to bless other people. Martin Luther argued in Psalm 145 that it says that God feeds every living thing meaning he is feeding us through the labor of farmers and others. See, um, we want to see God do miraculous things, and, and of course we pray for that. But the way that God primarily works in the world and in our life is not through miraculous means, it's through other people. As he gives us all the abilities and all the resources, and he says, now I want you to go and I want you to work for the benefit of other people. So that doctor you may not think, oh, it's not miraculous. It is miraculous because God gave him those resources and those abilities to work through him in order to, 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 to help you. And so he uses it as a way to accomplish his purposes in the world. I also think it brings him joy. Um, my two older boys yesterday, or my two boys, uh, the, the seven-year-old and the four-year-old, we were at baseball all day yesterday. So one plays t-ball and one is in, what's that league called? It's not great. Anyway, they're, they're doing a good job. They love having fun. Um, 
And the, the seven-year-old's into it, and he's learning how to pitch, and it's super fun. And the four-year-old, we have to bribe to be there. Like, absolutely bribe. We go, look, buddy, you stay on the field for the entire time. I don't care if you watch the ball. I don't care what you do. You can pick flowers if you want. If you stay on the field, all the candy you could ever dream, <laughs> right? Like, we're going to, we'll go big, you know? Like, we're just hoping, stay on the field, man. But it's fun because along the way, they're learning different skills. Um, Hand-eye coordination. They're learning the rules. They, and I enjoy watching them. Not because they're great baseball players. They're not. But because I just enjoy watching my kids learn something new. It's fun being able to just see these kids just develop. And I think God probably feels the same way about us. And of course, it gives us satisfaction and fulfillment. Is God created it as a way for us to be satisfied. Now, it's not an ultimate satisfaction. It's, uh, it's kind of like having a great meal. Like you're really hungry and you eat and you're like, oh, that, that, that's, you're satisfied for a moment. I think that's how work is is one of the things that I have to do is I have to work with my hands at least one day a week and, and I have to accomplish something because ministry feels like it's never done. I don't know about the, you guys are a mess, okay? You're never fixed. You're never, I try, you try. You get up here, you give great sermons. You think, man, if they just did this and then you know what happens? Still a disaster. And so, um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, and so what I, what I like to do is I like to build something so that at the end of the day I could step back and go, Okay, I accomplished something. <laughs> something got done today. Like, even if nothing else feels like it's getting done and I'm maybe ta- taking two steps backward in my life, at least I got to look at this and go, ah, there we go. It's crooked, it's not beautiful, but I finished it. And I think there's a part of that in which we find satisfaction in that. Here's the problem this is not how most of us experience work. Like, as I describe this vision for work, most of you guys go, yeah, that's not. That's not me. <laughs> That's not where I'm at. If you were to ask me what I think about my work, I would say it's maybe boring, frustrating, stressful, challenging, or it's just simply a necessary evil to survive. Is I work because it enables me to do the things that I actually want to do. Like what I really want to do? Go on vacation. What I really want to do? I want to travel. What I really want to do? I want to shop. I want... Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh. Uh, I... Uh, I am distracted. Okay, what am I? <laughs> you think about the, the, the idea of the American dream, and part of the American dream is I'm going to work long enough and hard enough so that I don't have to work anymore. Retirement. Remember I said you regret that retirement comment? <laughs> anyway, um, is, is we think the purpose of work is to work so that we don't have to work anymore, so that we can actually do the things that we want to do. Now, how did, how did it come to be that we were blessed with work in the beginning, but now it has become a burden for many of us? Well, right after this, we see the answer, at least in part, in Genesis uh, 3.17, it says this. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So this thing called sin enters the world. It's this rebellion against God. And, and I think we underestimate the enormity of sin because we think of sin as, oh, we've done something that God doesn't like. No, 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 no. Like when sin enters into the world, it's like a cancer that just eats away everything. And it's not just the thing that separates us from God, although that's the primary thing that it does. It also separates us from one another. And it separates us from creation. See, we have this like love-hate relationship with creation, it's one of those things where um, we love it because it's beautiful and it provides for us. 
Now, some of us love it more than others. Some of you guys are like, nature, you know, go out there, sleep in a tent. And I'm like, we've been working for a long time to get out of nature and get in, inside. So yes, I'll take the picture of it. It's great. But we love it. It's a necessary thing. And then there's also this hate relationship that we have where it feels like nature is always trying to come up with new ways to hurt us or kill us. And so we, we have this tension, and I don't think it's just a tension between us, and here's a tension between us and other people, and it's between us and God. And so when we think about work, the sin has infiltrated, and it's, it's, it's kind of corrupted everything, including the work that we're trying to do. So it's why we go to work and we have relational conflict with other people. It's why we seem to have never-ending problems, financial, logistical, whatever it is. It just work is difficult. No matter how much we love it at times, it's always, it's always tough. And so when it comes to work, sin has really sucked the joy out of much of it for us. So if sin is the, the issue, and we know that, um, how has it manifested itself within our culture? Because it looks different for different people, different times, different cultures. And so sin takes different, different shapes. And here's what I think it's taken within our day. And we hinted upon this a little bit last week. I want to elaborate on it. I'm reading a book by Carl Truman, and he gives this illustration. He said, if I were to sit down with my great-grandfather and asked, are you satisfied with your job? And he explains his job was um, working in a sheet metal factory. It's a very blue-collar, kind of grimy, tough, tough work. He said, if I were to ask him, are you satisfied with your job? He would have said, yeah, I'm satisfied because... I get to put food on the table for my kids and clothes on their back and shelter over their head. And so I'm able to fulfill the duties that I've been given. And so he would say he is satisfied. And the reason he is satisfied is because he is able to fulfill his responsibilities. It's an external satisfaction. But if you were to ask one of us, well, are you satisfied with your job? The way that we would answer it is we would say, well, yes, because I get to use my gifts and talents and, and it's part of my passion and I feel like I'm making a difference in people's lives and and so the way that we would answer if we're satisfied or not is by looking internally. It's more of a psychological state. How does my job make me feel? He says there's been this radical shift between finding satisfaction externally to finding it internally. He calls it an inward move. And it's not just our work, of course. He says that this has happened in every arena of our life. And we talked about last week, it's this thing called hyper-individualism. In which we have gone from not just the person is valuable, of course that's true, it's rooted in Genesis. Not, not just should they have freedom, not that they should have autonomy to make their own decisions, but we have moved to this place in which everything is about the individual. Now it's not just about I am a person who is important and valuable, but now I am a person who is a law unto myself. There is nothing above me. There may be a God, but his law are relevant to me. I am the law. I decide who I am going to be and what I am going to do. I am completely autonomous from anything external to myself, including roles and responsibilities. And so what happens is we go from people who um, can make choices and decisions and answer questions like the big questions of life, like who am I and what am I here for, to, and this is important, going from answering those big questions to now we are the answer to those questions. Here's what I mean. When I ask big questions, whether explicitly or just the way that I live, a question like, well, who am I? Like, what's the core of my identity? Before, I would answer it through external uh, source, like responsibilities to others, who God says I am. Now we say, well, I am who 
I think I am. I either look down deep and I see my desires and that's who I am, or I decide for myself, here's who I want to be, and so then I become that person. Or when I think about what is my purpose in life, well, I don't look to other people to help me clarify what my purpose is. I look down deep within myself and I say, well, this is what I believe my purpose is. This is my meaning for being. This is what makes me worthy. And so many of us, as we look deep down within and we try to discover who we are and what we were made for, the answer, in part at least, is work. It's one of the first questions that we ask somebody when we meet them. I did this just yesterday myself. I say, okay, what's your name, where are you from, and what do you do? Because what you do, your, your career, is, is central to who you are within our culture. It's a core part of your identity. And so if this is, um, if this is a, a core part of our identity, um, this explains what the people at the, at the very beginning, those economists, they didn't quite understand. The reason why work not just continued to at the same pace, but it sped up, is because the more we have to become the answer of who I am and what I'm here for, the more work becomes the core of our identity, the more we have to prove ourselves. See, I didn't, uh, maybe a hundred years ago, the way that uh, work, I saw work was, it's a way for me to provide. Now I see it as a way for me to prove who I am. This is, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what makes me worthy. And so our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do or we don't do. And it's no wonder that all of us uh, or, or, or many of us have experienced meltdowns over the last couple of years because it's all changed and we're going, well, who am I in this situation? I mean, I, my identity was so wrapped up in this, I don't, know, I don't know where to go from here. Even when things are going well and, and you know, our career or our family or whatever we find our worth in is going well, we're still on the edge of, uh, of a meltdown because we're so afraid that it may not last. Well, what if I lose that job? What if they break up with me? What if my kids go off the rails? What if, and so we're always just white knuckling it, full of stress, always having to prove uh, day in and day out, and we're never able to relax. Even when we get those moments where we get to stop and we get to just rest, maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's some time off, we're still restless. So I don't know about you, um, I, I've tried a few times in my life to take two weeks off in a row. Very difficult. First week, I get sick, like physically sick, every single time. And I've realized why. Because I am wound so tight, because I am just going through life, right? And then I sit for a week, and I just go, and I start to unwind, and my body just goes, and I get sick. I literally get sick. And I experience symptoms that would be like a drug addict in withdrawal. And it is because I'm an addict, I'm an addict to busyness. I'm an addict to, to work. And so as I have to pull myself away from those things, and I'll be honest, Amy pulls me away from them. If it were up to me, we would never go on vacation because I'm like, I got lots to do. There's lots going on at work. You know, and she goes, nah, no, nah, we're, we're going. And so the first week is just me trying to just get my feet under me and, and fight these symptoms of withdrawal. Some of us were just afraid to rest because when we have to sit there, and we don't get to distract ourselves with our busyness, some things start to bubble up in our life. And we go, ooh, see, I've been running really hard so I wouldn't have to think and deal with this issue right here. But when I sit for a little while, it starts to, oh, I get to get back to work because I, I don't want to think about this anymore. 
Blaise Pascal in the 1600s said all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. This was in the 1600s. He couldn't even have guessed what it would look like today. And he says part of our problem is we can't sit and be still. 90 million Americans suffer from some sort of sleep, sleep deprivation or insomnia, which I just find crazy. We are the most prosperous and comfortable nation and people in all of human history, and we can't sleep. <laughs> Does that not say there's something wrong here? We have down comforters. We have climate-controlled rooms. We have everything you can imagine, and we're going, I can't sleep. How is that possible? There is something that has gone off the rails here. It's because we're restless. We're always fighting for our identity and our value and our worth. And so we can never rest. Let me quickly um, get through this part. Is, is, this is the most important part. Is Matthew eleven twenty eight? Jesus comes and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I don't know about you, but... That's, that's me most of the time. <laughs> I'm weary and burdened. I'm exhausted. If I'm not physically exhausted, I'm emotionally exhausted. And he says, and I will give you rest. This rest that he's talking about here is not just a physical rest, although that's a part of it. What he's talking about here is it's, it's the rest that we're really looking for. It's a rest from the work underneath the work. It's a soul-level rest. It's a rest from having to prove ourselves every single day. See, we've been living with, um, with trying to prove uh, ourselves based on what we have done. And you'll never find rest in that because you will never have done enough. There will always be more that you could do. There will always be another thing. There will always be another person. There will always be a... And you will never find rest. But what he says is, I have come in order to give you rest, not based on what you have done, but based on what I've done for you. See, being a Christian is not just coming to Christ and saying, here's all the bad things that I've done. Here's all the rebellion. Here's all this sin. Will you take this uh, off of my shoulders and, and forgive me for them? It's also taking our best deeds. It's our self-righteousness. It's our proving, proving to ourselves, to others, to God. It's all of it. It's our good and our bad and saying all of it is on your shoulders. I just come and I accept the gracious gift that you have given me of salvation. And so it's a, it's a rest that we can have it's, that's not based on circumstance, not based on performance. It's a rest where we can come and we can just say, you know what? During the highs and lows of life, I am still secure because I rest in the fact of what you have done, not what I have done. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, if you want to experience this soul-level rest, then come and just give me it all. Your best and your worst. I can handle it. That's what I died for. Give it all to me. Start finding your identity and your worth, not based on what you do or don't do, but based on what I've done for you. See, this is a really good gauge for, for where we're at, is by how we're able to to rest. It tells us how dependent we really are and how much we truly do believe. Because if, if we're able to rest, it's because we have fully trusted God with this. But if we're not able to rest, it means we've still got a lot to give him. So I had this weird thing happen recently. I felt like somebody was choking me. Like I would be sitting there, I'd be like, Amy, I got this, I just feel like there's something like 
hands around, and it wasn't like spiritual or anything. It was like a physical, like, this is weird. I'm having trouble breathing. And she goes, that is so strange. And so I went to uh, the doctor, WebMD, and um, <laughs> great doctor, great doctor. He informs me of new cancers all the time. It's great. So I go on there, and I'm looking it up, and the first thing that says uh, the reason why I might be feeling this suffocating experience is because of stress. The stress was literally, physically suffocating me. And I went, oh, okay, I am trying to take all that stuff back onto my shoulders, and I can't bear that kind of weight. The writers of Hebrews 4 says, we must make every effort to enter into his rest. The rest is available. It is here. And yet we have to make an effort into entering into it. So I got to preach to my heart and preach to my mind. Okay, Cody, you're not in control. You don't got this. And so you need to offload all of that stress and say, Jesus, I trust you. I've done my best. I've worked my hardest. But I trust you with the results. And so that I can find that soul level rest. I think this is why uh, God at the very beginning implemented this thing called the Sabbath. The Sabbath um, was implemented right after the Exodus and the Ten Commandments, and I'll really quickly go through this as Exodus 20, 18 says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So Moses says that we must remember the Sabbath day, meaning we must make this a priority in our life. And guess what, Moses? We haven't. <laughs> Sorry. In fact, it's such a rare thing that everybody in this room could name the one national business that actually practices it. Chick-fil-A, yeah, yeah, and you know this because you try to drive there every Sunday after church, and you're like, oh, Chick-fil-A would be so good, and we get there, and we're like, oh, come on, Jesus wants chicken on Sunday, let's go. Anyway, uh, verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do or not do any work. So the Sabbath is simply a 24-hour period where we do no work at all. He says, take the day off. I want you to just focus in on two things, rest and worship. Rest and worship. And Moses goes on to explain, he says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Now, why would God, who has infinite amount of energy and power and resources, rest? Not because he was tired because he was satisfied. He looked at his creation, and remember he said, it's good. I did a great job here. It's kind of like a painter who spends all this energy, all this time creating this beautiful masterpiece, and at the end he steps back and he goes, look what, is, look what I've made. He can rest. See, that, that's what the Sabbath is. It's us stepping back and going, you know what? I just want to observe and just admire what God has done in this last week of my life. I just want to step back, and I don't have to prove, I, don't have to, I can just rest in the fact that I am satisfied with, with, with what God has done. I'm not just satisfied in his creation. I'm satisfied in what's, been hap what's happened on the cross. Is I can sit back and I can say, God, you're in control, and you've done a great job. It's also a pattern. It's a pattern that we need rest See, there's this, there's this rhythm to life that we see within um, the creation narrative. And the rhythm is a six-in-one pattern of work and rest. So a couple of musicians in my house, my wife, she dabbles. Um, 
also my, my kids are starting to learn how to read music and play instruments, and, and I try to listen in because I have no ability whatsoever. And, and as I'm listening, they're learning different rhythms and how they all kind of come together. And, and one of the things that I've learned is that there are, there's obviously different notes, but there is one note in particular in which as you go along, you, you, you play nothing. You, you take that off. And so as you're playing it, you pause, and you, and it's called a rest. And so the rhythm of life is sort of like music, in which if you want to, if you want to play well, if you want it to sound good, if you want it to make sense, you've got to follow the rhythm. And part of the rhythm is you must rest. Because if you don't rest, it's just going to be chaotic. It's just going to be loud noises. I think God has created us in such a way so that we can we can be attuned to his rhythm of a six-in-one rest. See, we can't really continue at a pace like this. Is our, our, our minds and our bodies are made to be in this rhythm. And if we get out of rhythm, something's going to break. I realized this when I was 20 years old, and I had a full emotional and mental breakdown. I was going to school, uh, I was working full-time, I was dating Amy, I just, every, and I was sleeping very little, and I was just trying, and I thought, you know, I'm 20, I can do this, <laughs> only for so long, because when you get out of that rhythm, your body's eventually going to say, oh, time out, enough is enough, we got to get caught up, and so I spent weeks just completely mentally and emotionally exhausted to where I could do nothing. And it's because I neglected the rhythm that God has made us by. So let me finish with this. And Moses adds in verse uh, Deuteronomy 5, 15, as he's explaining this commandment, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that your, the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, this was implemented right after the exodus out of Egypt, where they once were slaves. And he says, now I want you to take a day off, because before, when you were in Egypt as slaves, they made you work every day, all day, until you died. But now you're free. And to prove, as an act of liberation, you must take a day off. Because if you do not take a day off, you're still a slave. Now, you may not be a slave to Egypt anymore, but you're a slave to your ambition, to people's expectations, to materialism. And so it is an act of liberation that you must take this day and rest. It's also an act of trust. When we take that day off, what we're saying is, God, I'm in, I am not in control. <laughs> like some of us get up in the morning and we believe, okay, I got to go because if I don't go, the world will stop spinning. And so woo, let's get going, baby. And God goes, I think I've got it. No, like seriously, I think I'm, I think I, I don't know why we sleep and scientists are still trying to figure it out, but I wouldn't be surprised if God goes, see, I made you sleep because I wanted you to remember how helpless and vulnerable you are. Think about it. You are not in control when you were asleep. A third of your life, you are unconscious and yet the world still continues on. And so I feel like God might go, do you not get the point here? I have literally turned the switch off and made you unconscious so that you will realize you're helpless. And yet we wake up and we go, whoo, <laughs> I'm back, baby. Let's get going. <laughs> See, when we rest, what we're saying is, God, I am not in control of the world or even of my world. 
you are in control. I will do my best. I will be faithful, but I will rest in the fact that you take care of me. So some of us, as we look out at the world and we see that it is full of anxiety and stress and depression and we say, I want to live differently. One of, the, one of the big takeaways for me during this series is if you want to live differently than the rest of the world, then you're going to have to implement some rules. And they may take a little bit of work, but it's work that can actually bring freedom and rest. It begins with Jesus who offers us a rest for our souls, but that it also goes to an implementation of these rules of life. And so I would challenge you, I want you to try this. And I know this might be heretical, and I'm sorry for going over time, but let's be honest, it's worth it. Um, try just for, just, just for fun. A day in which you, I know this is crazy, turn off your cell phone, <laughs> turn off Netflix, turn off the internet, and you just rest. You spend time with family. You do some things that you enjoy. You don't have an agenda. You just feel free and not guilty to just say, God, today is yours. Let's do what you want to do. And see if, see if things don't start to change in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, this church. I, I say that every week, and I, I do mean it. Um, I am so thankful to be a part of a community which is seeking you, um, which wants to know you more, and, um, and wants to know your heart. And so, Lord God, as we talk about these disciplines, as we're praying and fasting, and some of us are doing it for the first time, Lord, I pray that in this next week, it wouldn't just be um, something that we make it through, but it would be something that we're able to implement into our life from here on out. And so, Lord, um, I just pray that you would continue to encourage us, to strengthen us, and um, to help us to follow you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys for being here. Be here next week. It is Super Bowl Sunday. And if you've never been to a Super Bowl Sunday, you are going to have a blast. So make sure you're here. Other than that, we will see you next week. And God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.